right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU Missouri is back December 11th inside the Fieldhouse. It was supposed to be last year. That thing called COVID happened. They decided we're not doing it. We're not reigniting this rivalry without fans present. So... Pushed it back a year. December 11th, in the Fieldhouse, KU released their non-conference schedule earlier today. Now, Missouri's not supposed to be very good at all next year. I saw the Bart Torvik projections. It's just one projection site, but uh, they have Missouri at 125th. 125th to start the season, which would put them amongst the very worst Power 6 programs in the country. So, not great. In terms of drumming up excitement for this rivalry restarting again. But the rivalry is still the rivalry and people are still going to be excited. I think even without Missouri, ticket prices were going to go up next year. Because KU knows, first off, fans are going to be excited to get back into the field house. Secondly, uh, they, like every other athletic department, they're kind of broke. They didn't make much money last year. So you're going to automatically put ticket prices up anyway. Mizzou, if they were good, is a different conversation. If this was like a top 25 Missouri team, I think we're talking astronomical numbers. Missouri not being very good at all is going to change things a bit, but I still think those ticket prices are going to be outrageous. 100%. You're still going to have some fans who are just going there to say, oh, I want them to be bad because I just want to destroy them. You know, I just want to kick their ass. That's all people are going to want to do. People are going to spend $500 just for the privilege of going in and booing and yelling expletives at Missouri. (laughs) He haven't played him for 10 years, man. He had a lot of pent-up frustration. Do we count the one at the Sprint Center a couple years ago for hurricane relief? No, that was a charity game Mm -hmm. at the Sprint Center exhibition. See, I'd be curious, though, what the ticket prices were for that game. Because I get it. Like, it was an exhibition. But as far as the talent, there was probably more build-up to that one. Because think about it, that was the KU Michael team that Porter went to the Jr. Final Four. And then, yeah, you had Michael Porter Jr., Jonte Porter. You had... Uh, but Michael Porter Jr. got Tillman. injured in that game, no, I believe. He, maybe. Yes, that's when he injured his back, right? Or did he even play at all? Also for charity, though. So it doesn't, mm. doesn't count. Yeah. Doesn't count. Easier to write off a big ticket price if it's going for hurricane relief. $500 on a secondary ticket site. If you see $500 for KU, Missouri, December 11th, and I'm talking like as soon as tickets come out, not once we get to the season, I'm talking three months out. Somebody post those tickets for $500. Are you even thinking about pulling the trigger? No, I'm not. That would have to be like a top five game for me. If you told me I could go a back in time. top five game all time? No, 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 like a top five matchup. If you told me I could go back in time and watch the 2012 game for $500 for a ticket, I would do that. But you know how that game ended. Sure. 
That's that's a that's not a fair exercise. Because you could have got in for probably much less than $500, I would assume. I was looking at the most expensive college basketball games on sick secondary market prices, and the, the last data was from 2019-2020. And this game's not really fair because games that are played in Durham, you only got about 8,000 tickets. North Carolina at Duke, ticket prices were going for $1,500. Again, not fair. Because the second most expensive game was the other one, Duke at North Carolina, Tickets were going for six twenty six, so the price is almost a third of what it was in Durham. Louisville at Duke six hundred again. That price is inflated because it's at Duke. So honestly, those three games don't mean a whole lot to me. Duke at Michigan State though two hundred dollars. Like if you're paying two hundred dollars to get into a college basketball game, that is going to be one of the most expensive tickets of the year. And I'm telling you right now, I said five hundred. I guarantee you, tickets for KU Missouri are going to be going well above two hundred dollars. I'll book it right now. Yes, I would agree with that. I think five hundred old. I I, I you're talking about one of yeah. the oldest rivalries in the history of college basketball, one of the most hated rivalries in the history of college basketball. And I'll tell you right now, that is what I am looking forward to getting back to. Not the memories, not the, well, we just got to play. I'm looking forward to the hatred, man. Because a rivalry is not built off common respect. Anybody who says it is doesn't know what a rivalry is. A rivalry is when not only can you not stand the other team, you can't stand the individual players themselves. I don't want to hear any of this, well, I hate the team, but I got to gotta give respect for that kid. He's No, you don't. Well, now you don't have to do that. Parker Brown isn't on Missouri, so you don't have to worry about the, the brotherhood there. That wouldn't have stopped me anyway. You must not know me well. <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about okay. it. Okay. Rivalries aren't just about hating the team, hating the players, hating the coaches. The first sports figure I ever hated was Quinn Snyder. I mean, it just looked like an Eve, like a like a B-list movie villain from the 90s with the slicked back hair and the weasel face and always angry and sweating and yelling. And now he's the jazz coach and I respect the hell out of him. Put on a new coat, all of a sudden you're a different man. I think differently of you. So it's not just about hating the school and the players and the coaches and the program. I hate the people who love them. I hate the fans of Missouri for no other reason than you picked that team. And anybody who tells you that that's being petty or you're taking it too far or come on, again, you don't know what rivalries are. Or maybe you don't know what this rivalry is because other rivalries may not be the same. There's a reason why this was one of the greatest rivalries in sports. And we're not just hitting the reset button just because we happen to take a decade off. I think a lot of people are surprised when, like my out-of-state friends or something who aren't from here, when you explain, they'll be like, oh, your rival's Kansas State, right? And it's like, well, I mean, sort of. Some people would disagree. But for the most part, it's Missouri. And they're like, why? That's your team in state. And then you explain them that there's actual history there. Like, it doesn't just go back to sports. Like, it is the fact that you had... The, the free state versus the slave state. You had people from Missouri coming in and burning down Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a very real history there. K-State becoming KU's pseudo-rival is kind of like, I'm trying to think, well, you know, like in Greece where 
What, what's the two main characters' names? Um, this is a good. This is gonna be a oh, great one. Uh, John Travolta. John and, Travolta and uh, Olivia Newton-John. I would have never guess Sa- that. Sandy. Is her name Sandy. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I really it's don't. One hundred percent Sandy. What's his name? No idea. John Travolta. <laughs> John Travolta and Sandy. Uh, when they break up, and then they both go get the other, like the fill-in boyfriend and the fill-in girlfriend, just to make the other one jealous. Like that's what K-State's been. That we never really loved you. We were never really attracted to you. We just made you our rival because we had to act like we'd moved on. We had to act like we didn't need you, Missouri. But now that the rivalry's back on, all that's out the window. In fact, you were our rival all along. We hated you all along, and we missed you. So it's a love-hate thing, and I'm excited to reignite that. Does the KU basketball ticket go for more or less than the first KU football game between Missouri? There's more tickets to be had. Way more. Okay. Way more. Are you kidding? I think the KU football ones will actually be up there. You think anybody is going to pay hundreds of dollars to go to a KU football game? I think this KU-Missouri game, it'll be around 150 200 for the cheapest. I think it'll be around I think football. I think you're out of your mind. <laughs> Put it up to a poll. I don't care. I don't think you know what you're talking about, man. Nobody, I mean, it's KU football. Well, I mean, when Lance Leipold has him in the top 25. Oh, you know, yeah. right, right, right. I forgot about that part. We do have news on the college football front, or at least chattering that potential news could be coming. That's how it works with the college football playoff. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports reporting late last night that not only does college football playoff expansion seem imminent, but we're going to blow right past the idea of expanding to eight teams, and we're going to cruise all the way up to a 12-team college football playoff expansion. That's right. You may wonder, how could a committee that was so resistant to expansion in the first place be willing to not just double, but triple in size? And it's actually a pretty simple solution. And it's all because of the SEC. And if you think about it, expansion to... An eight-team playoff format looks like what? You get five automatic bids for each of the Power Five conferences, and then you have to do an automatic bid for the group of five. Because if you don't do that, then what's the point of expanding at all, right? If you're not going to give uh, those the, the best group of five team a chance to get in, then why even expand? Why not just keep it at four? So there you go. There's six of your eight spots. The final two spots are at-large bids. Right now, as it currently stands, you have four at-larges. Almost every single year, the SEC has a chance, but they feel they have a chance to get at least two teams in because they feel like they're going to have two of the top four teams in the country. In this new format, you're going to double in size and still only have the opportunity, in all likelihood, to get two teams in. The SEC would look at that and say, if we're expanding, we want to benefit more than anybody else. And while that may seem selfish, they have the power to wield because in that room where you've got how many, three new commissioners, right? You know that Greg Sankey and his voice carries as much weight as anybody else. Even if it was a new F- SEC commissioner, it just would. Right. And he's saying to himself, no, if we're going to expand, I want the opportunity to get more teams in. Otherwise, then why would we expand? I'm getting two teams in now. I'm getting two teams in with an 18 playoff. Then no, I'm against it. So if you expand to 12, and then all of a sudden, you get four more at-large bids. You're not just thinking about getting two or three. 
SEC teams in. You're thinking, if all I got to do is have four teams, theoretically, in the top 10 or 11, which feels like they have a pretty good chance of doing every single year, then yeah, the SEC's probably going to feel like we're going to get four teams in every year. SEC would have gotten four teams in this year, last year, year before. (laughs) Yeah, if you look at it this past year, um, Texas A&M sitting there at number five, Florida seven, Georgia at nine. They've had a they've had a really good chance. So that's the way it's going to work. Hey, we're going to help out the group of five, but you're going to help us out too. If you think we're going to move towards a playoff system that decreases our chance of dominating the sport, you got another thing coming. We're willing to help out in the ways that you guys want to help out. But in the end, we still need to benefit the most. It's like, you know how a lot of teams, instead of doing a home-and-home home on the schedule, they'll, if they're the, the power school, they'll say, no, we want to do two at home for us, one on the road. Yeah, That's what they're doing. They're saying, yeah, we'll let one of your power or group of five teams in, but we're going to get two more. There's the trade. By the way, in this proposed 12-team playoff, Coastal Carolina undefeated still doesn't get in. <laughs> Went 11-0 and last year. Mm-hmm. They still would be the first team out. But then again, you'd have to think if there is a twelve-team playoff, you maybe do things different. You may or you maybe do things differently throughout the season. If you can schedule an extra game, to say what do we got to lose? We're going to be out no matter what, so we might as well schedule as tough of an opponent as we possibly can. We win that game, maybe it is enough to bump us in. We'll talk more about this coming up later. We're also going to talk about it with Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. He'll join us later in the four o'clock hour. We got Matt Tate of the LJ World with us here in about 20 minutes. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Have you ever seen a nose bush sticking out of your dad's nose? Of course you had. It's disgusting. It's a difficult conversation to have, but one that you need to have. The Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is the best nose trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. They also have other amazing products like cologne, crop mop, ball wipes, crop reviver, ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. For all the females listening, you'll appreciate this part. Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they'll use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. So after some recon work in the last segment, we have discovered that Derek... Before he became the gentle giant that we all know and love, lived a life of anger and brutality. I was brutality. a high-tempered man. I got kicked out of like a third-grade football game. Unbelievable! Just going around punching kids on the playground. Meanwhile, I, often the victim of undeserved violence. So we're starting to paint a picture of like who we are. I think if people. we grew up together, I would have punched you. Yeah, he would have. That's the thing. If we would have known each other before college, I would have been a victim of your uh, your reckless violence. I'm glad I didn't know you back then. 
Matt Tate of the LJ World joins us now on the show. Matt, have you ever been punched or punched someone in your life? I've been punched. Um, Wait, punched in the face? It. Punched in the face? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I never would have thought that. I know. I know. I, like I said, I deserved it. Um, I was taunting, taunting a buddy of mine's younger brother whose girlfriend just dumped him. And I was, <laughs> I was taunting him. Yeah, it was on me. And he, he, was, uh, he decided to not be a younger brother anymore. And he just reared back and slugged me in the eye. And mm. I, I deserved it. I didn't cry or anything. I, you know, I didn't like it. So it was a life lesson right then, the way I felt. It was like, oh, okay, so if you do that, then this happens. And right. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I kind of owe him one there. He, he sent me on the right path from there. But, yeah, that was, that was the only time, thankfully. And, um, and I've, you know, I've never, uh, never pulled a Derek Johnson myself. Never, you, okay, never, so uh, not much of a puncher yourself. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, I'd. I'd much sooner walk away than, than, uh, than, than make a fist and, and use it. You, you know. Listening, but, Derek. Um, you hearing this? You can learn a thing or two, bud. I'm getting angry about this conversation. Yeah, now Derek's gonna come punch you for being such a sissy, Matt. So be careful. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's it's at least I've been warned this time. The other time, <laughs> uh, I just remember not. I won't. I won't taunt Derek. That's uh, that's true. You know, I, I will. I will make sure that doesn't happen. But I. There's no way I would. I was. Uh, Der- Derek's a, a Nuggets fan like myself. I'm. I'm coaching him up during the break there, trying to help him realize that the Nuggets are still very much in it. And uh, and also Derek was. Uh, you know, I think he was on his honeymoon in, in Hawaii a couple years ago and bought me a beer on his honeymoon and saved wow. me a spot at their table when KU was out there. What I a mean, guy. There's, there's no reason for either of us to punch the other guy. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if I tuned in someday and heard you guys throwing fists. I know that much. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I'd never say never. We have a pretty good working relationship, but, you know, things get tense when you work uh, close proximity to someone for – for as long as we had. Well, I'm glad we, we could hash all that out and, uh, you know, all our cards now <laughs> on the table, so to speak. Hey, the non-con schedule, KU Hoops came out earlier today, and I think the game that everybody naturally zeroed in on was that one on December 11th. KU, Missouri, inside Allen Fieldhouse. Unlike last year when the game had to be scrapped, this game will be played in front of fans What's the over-under on how much those tickets are going for? I know Mizzou's not going to be very good this year, but it's still KU Mizzou for the first time in a decade. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I, obviously, last year was crazy, and, and the whole COVID thing, you know, it's not anything anybody would have wanted to see happen, of course. But uh, I, I like that the game is, is, is going to be played on one of the two campuses in the in the first game back i mean i i think it would have been fine over at uh over in kansas city if that had been allowed to continue last year but i just don't think it has the same juice i mean it's been a long time and a lot of the students that would be a part of this or even the players themselves are are you know they were they were 10 11 12 years old maybe younger even um the last time this thing mattered so i i think it's one thing to to try to get it revved up again on a on campus because home games are fun on campus and the, and there's a little more juice there anyway but to 
try to reintroduce something like that into uh, the situation and and to have it be in a neutral site type of game like, like it would have been, I, you know, it'll be cool when that day comes uh, three, four years from now. But I love that it's starting back on a campus. And, it, you know, works out that it's at Allen Fieldhouse first because that's the better of the two venues by a long shot. But even if it was at Mizzou first, that, that still, to me, would have been a – would have been a cool way to jump back into it. So I, I think that'll be fun. I think, yeah, you you know, you said it. I mean, it's not like it's going to be two top five teams going at it or anything like that like it was the last time they played. But um, but it'll still have a ton of storylines and a ton of nostalgia, and, and it, it definitely adds something to the schedule. But, you know, this schedule would be fine without it. The rest of the schedule is pretty tough and pretty exciting anyway. So I, I, I think it's uh, – I think it's shaping up to be a great season, a great year. I think they're going to have a great team, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun all the way through. Yeah, I think KU fans will pay for the privilege to get there and, and be able to boo Missouri fans. Same thing for Missouri fans. Like Even if your team's no good, they're going to make the trip over to Lawrence, and they're going to pay a premium just for the opportunity to sort of reignite that rivalry because that's what it's about, right? It's not about seeing two quality teams go up against one another. It's that this is one of the oldest, most longstanding, and perhaps most importantly, uh, one of the most hatred-filled rivalries in the history of college athletics. I'm curious as to how quickly both fan bases are going to be able to pick up right where they left off, because 10 years is quite a long time to, to not get your reps in, so to speak. Yeah, no. Listen, it'll be it'll be immediate. Um, and and I don't know if I told you this story, but um, I hope I did. I, I wrote a little bit about it, but but I hope we talked about it on the radio too. But um, when I was in Indianapolis, when KU played uh, Eastern Washington in the in the uh, opening round of the NCAA tournament this year, you know the the venue capacity was limited because of COVID and. And so it wasn't packed. You know, there were, there were some seats to be had, all that. And Missouri obviously was in the tournament as well. So um, there were a few guys sitting directly like three, four rows in front of me. I would say maybe five or six guys all decked out in their Missouri hats and shirts. Um, and without question, they were the most vocal dudes in the entire arena for that KU Eastern Washington game. And, they were loving the Groves brothers. They were rooting against KU. They were they were yelling at Christian Brown, saying that Parker Brown was the better of the Brown brothers. I mean, they were all in on doing their part to watch their longtime rival lose a first-round tournament game. Didn't work out, and, uh, you know, most of the second half, they were a lot quieter than they were in the first half. But I think that goes to show you a lot about the fact that these dudes didn't forget, and I would put these guys in their maybe late 20s, somewhere like that. They, they weren't, you know, college guys, but they weren't 35 or older by any means, you know. So we're looking at they were teenagers the last time these two teams played each other regularly, and, and yet here they were in Indianapolis deeming it worth their time to not only go watch their team play in the tournament and lose, I think, later that night maybe, but, um, but also to pop on over to the uh, – Farmers Coliseum and root for Eastern Washington, who they probably heard about that morning. You know, so I, I think that that signifies exactly what the whole thing's about, and I think people like that will be coming out in in droves uh, to to get back into this thing. 
Talking to Matt Tate of the LJ World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Anything else particularly stand out to you about the non-con schedule that was released today? Uh, just how much I like it. On a personal note, two trips to New York, a trip to Orlando over Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm a Colorado native, so getting a chance to go back to Boulder is awesome. I mean, and in addition to that being personally beneficial, uh, those are all great games, too. I mean, at CU will be a blast. That'll be a lot of fun. Pat Boyle's got a good team almost every year now. Um, the games in New York are always fun, no matter what happens. But obviously, one of them is a season opener, so that's exciting. And then uh, Orlando, not the most dominant, nasty, dangerous field of a tournament you've ever seen. But uh, that KU-Alabama game potentially looming is, is pretty cool, and you know, that'll feel festive. Like, uh, it's not quite Maui, obviously, but it, it'll it'll have a similar feel. And, and those early season tournaments are a lot of fun. So I, I, I think it's a great schedule. I, I think, you know, those games are all awesome. And then there's some there's some interesting home games mixed in there, too. Stephen F. Austin, um, Harvard. You know, I, I, I just think I got a couple people calling on Twitter saying, you know, this doesn't look that tough. And I get it. You know, it doesn't have Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina up and down the list. But. But there's some good teams, and there's some really good teams that, that maybe aren't the power teams. I mean, even Coach Self in his, in his statement in the release mentioned how, you know, UTEP, Stephen F. Austin, these are teams that have shown they can, they can play with the powerhouses in college, including UTEP, who almost walked into Allen Fieldhouse last year and won. So it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a tough schedule. It'll, it'll put KU in the position to have, you know, a top five strength of schedule once again and and uh there's some fun to be had there as well so um you know i think everybody's curious what that sec matchup will be and um throw me in that boat i'm always curious on that one i don't know if it'll be kentucky or not it feels like it will though um yeah but there's some good options there and and uh and and you know i i just think when you're in the big 12 you don't need your non-conference scheduled to be murderer's row but but this is this is pretty close. I mean, there's a lot of games that if they're not if they're not where they want to be in terms of chemistry and they're not uh, playing well and don't have each other figured out by by November December, there's there's some games that'll be challenging for sure. Um, and 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 even if they do have it figured out, there'll be some challenging games in there. So it should be it should be a lot of fun, and it's always cool to kind of put dates with uh, with games that you've heard about because uh, we've heard of most of those games and. and we knew they were going to be involved with a lot of those teams uh, over the last few months, you know. But now, now we've got dates, and we know that December 11th is a big one. Yeah, it makes sense too, with it not being a murderer's row non-con. With as much turnover as it looks like it's going to happen on the roster, maybe that's not the type of team that you want to go and put out against this insane non-conference schedule littered with you know top 10, top 15 teams. But you're right, there are, there are still a lot of quality opponents, and it should make for uh, one of the top strengths of schedule in the country. Speaking of roster turnover, we still don't know exactly how much turnover there's going to be because you still got a handful of guys have to make a decision on their NBA draft status. Ochai, Jalen, and of course Remy Martin all still in the NBA draft process. Yesterday marked the one month, the one month uh, deadline, so to speak, of when these guys have until they need to make a decision to potentially withdraw their names from the NBA draft on July 7th. Do you expect them to take that full allotment of time or are you sort of circling sometime in the next couple of weeks or before that deadline for when we'll, we'll hear some decisions on what those guys are going to do? Uh, 
Yeah, I think yes and no. You know, I, I, I get the feeling that Ochai's going to take it all the way down. Um, I, I think the, he's got the hardest decision to make. And, and I think that, um, that, that, you know, there's from here, there's, there's uh, pros and cons to both sides of that, the decision that he could make. So it, it, would, it would make sense to me then that he would give it as much time as he absolutely can. And, and hard to blame him for doing that if the rules allow it take advantage of it, you know. So, um, I, 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 to me, he feels like a first week of July announcement kind of guy. Um, and then the other two, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they stagger him, um, even if they're both deciding to, to come back to KU. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes sense to kind of announce it a little bit of time between the two or, or three. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I continue to think that, that Remy Martin will be uh, KU's point guard next year and and uh, a big part of that team, and, and I'd be really surprised if Jalen Wilson goes. I, I heard the other day that he might have got invited to a, some kind of G League combine. Uh, I don't know when that is. I haven't looked that up yet, but um, that's great. You know, you're getting an opportunity to showcase yourself, but that's the G League, you know, and, and I don't know if all the invites have gone out for the NBA's pre-draft cam combine yet or not either, but that's the one you want, you know, and, and if you don't get that one, I think – I think that tells you all you need to know. And, and does it mean you can't go play your way into it? No. I mean, you know, it's definitely you could go kill it at this other combine and, and wow everybody and make a name for yourself and all that. But it, it certainly puts you in a in a tougher spot um, where you're not exactly starting from position A. So I I, I think if that's the case, uh, I, I'd be really surprised if he's not back. And, and I, like I said, I think Remy's back. So I think it, it comes down to Ochai's. Is, is the biggest one, and I'm sure most people feel that way too. I'm not I'm not saying anything that, that a lot of people haven't already thought, but um, but I do think Ochai will take it all the way to the end, and, and uh, you know that's okay. There's been a lot of guys that have done that, and and uh, some have decided to leave, and some have decided to stay. If you look at the math and and you start looking back at some of these guys who have been in Ochai's position, there's a really bold, strong line between a good decision and a bad decision. And um, I- I'm talking purely purely based on how they stand out at the NBA level. But, you know, there were a lot of guys that left KU early hoping they had a shot at the NBA that never really got that shot and are now playing overseas. And, and that's fine if that's, if that's something you're okay with doing. But, um, but there are also a number of guys on the other side of that line, like Devontae Graham and Svi Mikhailuk and Udoka, who uh, who decided to come back one more run one more uh, shot at it after getting some feedback and that kind of thing that not only proved to make a great decision but also became millionaires as a result so um, you know it, it's all about what he's hearing and it's all about what he feels and what he wants to do of course but but for my money uh, I think Ochai should be back I think it, it, he, he's got a chance to be again the face of the program a potential leading scorer. Um, He's certainly got the ability and the talent to make a run at being an All-American type player. And if he can do that, then I think he increases his draft stock tremendously. And then he may fall in that category with Devontae and Svee and and Doak as a guy who, if he comes back, made a really good decision to take advantage of it, leave at the right time, and and get rich as a result. So, um, you know, if not, you, you, you run the risk of falling in that Malik Newman, Wayne Selden, Sheck Diallo, uh, Josh Selby type of category, you know. And, and 
there's nothing wrong with either one as long as you can stomach it. But but it's a it's a tough decision. It really is, and and that's why I think he probably takes all the time he's given. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all of his work, KUSports.com, daily in the Lawrence Journal world. Appreciate it as always, man. Thank you, Matt. Yes, sir. Keep those fists up, man. Watch your guard in there, all right? All right. Thank you. Appreciate the fighting expertise, buddy. (laughs) My pleasure. You guys take care. Thanks, Nick. That is Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Last night, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports reporting that a 12-team college football playoff is emerging as the most likely outcome. He did caution those to not presume that that's exactly what's going to happen, but at this moment, that seems to be the prevailing favorite for the powers that be. And the powers that be is where this story gets very confusing because it's, it's difficult to track exactly who is making the decisions when it comes to college football playoff expansion. Here is directly what it says in Pete Thamel's piece on Yahoo Sports. The first step will come in Chicago on July 17th and July 18th when the four-member working group, tasked for nearly the past two years with exploring expansion, reports its finding to the College Football Playoff Management Committee. Okay, so we've got two committees already, the working group and the playoff management committee. This is so NCAA. There's more. (laughs) That four-member working group will present the finding to a group made up of SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick, and Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson. So after this discussion goes on for two days, the management committee are expected to yield a singular recommendation for the following week. That's when... The College Football Playoff Board of Managers, which is a group of 11 presidents and chancellors from the 10 FBS conferences plus Notre Dame. They will examine what's put forward and likely determine the potential shape of the playoffs future. So, in conclusion, the four-member working group will present a recommendation to the College Football Management Committee. The The College Football Management Committee will then pass that information onto the College Football Playoff Board of Managers, who are then tasked with making the decision. So it's a game of telephone. That'd be funny. You know, you you get... Originally, the idea is, yeah, we're going to do a 12-team playoff. And then by the time you get through, it filters through everybody. Somehow, it's it's get, gotten mismanaged. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do a 24-team playoff. Everybody's like, what? Yeah. Like, but, but he told me this. He told me that. He told me that. Well, I'll tell you this. The idea of expanding to a 2014 playoff has not. That's what they do in the been, FCS. Yeah, it's not been dismissed. And now they're not going to do it. But what they're basically saying is. Could you imagine going from four to 24? Well, here, this is directly from Dennis Dodd's piece on CBS Sports. He goes, there has been thought on the subject that one Power 5 source speculated about the impact of a 24-team field. Quote, you'd have half the FBS that would still be alive in November for these slots. We're not going to 24, but theoretically, that's what I think we can accomplish with this. Because there are so many differing agendas that are behind the decision to expand. Everybody has their own individual reason why they think expansion is a good idea. The SEC wants to expand because they think expansion will give them more chances to get more teams in the playoff. 
Other conferences want to expand because they feel like they've been left out. Like the Pac-12, they say, we want to expand so we get an automatic qualifier every single year. The the Pac-12 is going to be represented in the college football playoff. The group of five want to expand so that they can get an automatic qualifier. So that every single year, the Cincinnati's or the UCF's have a shot at competing for a national championship. Everybody has their own agendas. But I think if you're looking for an agenda driven by college football as a whole, it would be that in recent years, the conversation around the sport has shifted to playoff or bust. And the problem with playoff or bust with a 14 playoff is that most teams are busting because it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State, it's Oklahoma. Like those are the schools who every single year you feel like it's them versus the field. And if I gave you those four teams versus the field every year, you'd be winning money. Oh, you would be shocked to see the uh, preseason top five in some of the college football playoff magazines. Are, those, are they all top four? It's like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. There you go. Some order. So you can sprinkle in some Georgias <laughs> and some LSUs right. there. So why 12? Why not just go to eight, right? That's what we thought. That's all we've been asking for was eight. It's like you asked for the pony, they gave you the horse. This feels like a parental move where they're like, oh, well, you want this so bad? Here, take all of it. You know? Yeah. Oh, you want a pet so bad? Yeah. You wanted a puppy? Yeah. Well, now here's a horse. Oh, you want a take bowl of, of ice cream for dinner? Well, here, eat the whole carton and then throw up afterwards. Yeah, don't, you don't, you don't get up until you finish the whole thing. <laughs> here's what Pete Thamel had to say in his piece. Quote, in the current four-team college football playoff model, all four teams are at large. There are no automatic bids in the current college football playoff format. In most of these eight team models that have been projected, there would likely be either five or six automatic bids. So you'd have five automatic bids in some scenarios for the five power conference winners or six bids with, with the five power five conference winners plus the group of five. And I think if you're going to do the five automatic bids, you have to do the sixth because the group of five are going to say, well, if, if, they, if, they, if this doesn't benefit us, then why would we want to expand at all? How does this make any sense? So it won't happen. I don't think that will happen. If they expand, they have to give an automatic bid to a group of five team. Because remember, that board of managers, that college football playoff board of managers, half of it, more than half of it, is made up of presidents from universities not in a Power Five conference. Would you be surprised at all if they gave it with strings attached? Like, remember when the BCS was around? They said, you can get a team automatically into a BCS bowl but they have to be in the top 14. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me, but that's the part of the reason why I think, again, there is this push for 12 over 8. Because if you do it like that, if you had an 18 model with six automatic bids, that means you would, by default, be going from four automatic, four at-large bids, which is what you have now, to two at-large bids. Which, if you're the SEC, you'd say, why would we want to do that? Because now we have four at-large bids, and a lot of times we're getting two teams in. In this new scenario, we only have two at-large bids, so we'll have the SEC champion, and then most likely we'll get one other team in. So your chances of getting more teams in from your conference doesn't increase whatsoever. Or like Notre Dame, who would look at it and say, we have less access now because we don't get an automatic bid, so we'd have to get one of those at-large bids Right now, Notre Dame has a 1-in-4 ch- chance to get an at-large bid. In this new format, they would have a 1-in-2 chance. They'd say, why would we want to do that? 
If you have an eight-team playoff, though, go back to those six automatic bids. Theoretically, teams ranked fifth or sixth could get left out if you have like a Pac-12 champion that's ranked 12th. If, let's say, Oregon's ranked 12th, they get in, well, that automatically is knocking out a more deserving team. Look at it in terms of 2020, this past year. The six automatic qualifiers would have been Alabama, at the number one team in the country, number two, Clemson, number three, Ohio State, number six, Oklahoma from the Big 12, number eight, Cincinnati, your group of five champ, and number 25, Oregon. Oregon would have been ranked 25, but because they were the Pac-12 champ, they would have gotten one of the automatic bids. That leaves two at-large bids. That would have went to number four, Notre Dame, and number five, Texas A&M. And in that scenario, three of the top 10 teams in the country would have been left out of the field. Number seven, Florida, Number 9, Georgia. Number 10, Iowa State. But if you did a 12-bid playoff and therefore made it six automatic bids, six at-large bids, number 7, Florida gets in, number 9, Georgia gets in, number 10, Iowa State gets in, and number 11, Indiana gets in. That's why the SEC doesn't want an 8-bid league because if they increase it to 12, not only do you go from having the opportunity to just maybe get two teams in, it's all of a sudden the opportunity to get three or even four teams in. And we're going to talk about this with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. He's going to join us coming up on the other side. I know a lot of people will look at this and say, does Iowa State really deserve to compete for a national championship? Does Indiana really deserve to compete for a national championship? Do you really want to see Alabama or Clemson beat the doors off one of those teams in the first round of the playoff? No, you don't. And the idea that there's going to be blowouts in the first round, that's going to be a point of debate. But I'd rather see it settled on the field than settled on social media or sports talk shows. Yeah. I don't really care that much when a one seed's playing a 16 in the NCAA tournament, but I still want them to be in there. Isn't that better than us having the debate of, oh, it would have just, like, what we're doing right now? Yeah. Just let them play the games. Right. And if they're blowouts, they're blowouts. But at least now you have the element of Cinderella, which you've never had. It's never existed no. in college football. No, because we've lived in a in a sport here, unlike every other sport, every other sport, high school, college, pro, if you win out, you might not be the best team, but if you win out, you at least get a chance to prove that you were the best team. College football is the only sport that's not true. 12-team playoff. Division one college Would now create that opportunity. Is Kevin Flaherty a fan? We're going to find out coming up next. I'll ask him that question on the other side. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So it's quite difficult to figure out what committee we're talking about when we're talking about college football playoff expansion. You've got the four-member working group. Then you've got the management committee. And then you've got the college football playoff board of managers. And I know there's some overlap between these, but I don't know who exactly does what or who has the final say here. But all I know is one of those committees is tossing around the idea of blowing right past an eight-game, eight-team college football playoff and going to a 12-team college football playoff. We didn't even get to taste the eight before we move on to the 12. Let's talk to Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. He joins us now on the show. Kevin, what do you think about that? For the past seven, eight years, college football fans have universally been clamoring for expansion, and now it feels like we may get even more than we bargained for. Yeah, I think it's too much expansion, Nick. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm one of the people who is for expansion in general because I think, quite frankly, if you're going to have a sport and say, hey, this is your division, these are the guys competing against each other, then there needs to be a path for 
schools like Cincinnati or, or schools like Coastal Carolina, if they have that kind of season, uh, to be able to potentially get to a spot where they could play for for a championship. You know, it's not the kids' fault when they go out and play every single game on the schedule and and win them all. And, and with four teams, there just wasn't even a chance that a Cincinnati or a or a Coastal Carolina was going to get a chance to play for the title unless, you know, chaos just totally reigned supreme and everybody else had, you know, three losses. And so I think expanding it is a good idea, you know, making it to where when you do have that sort of rare team that runs through that you feel like is legitimately that kind of a threat. You know, when you look at the UCF team from a couple of years back, that, that may well have been a top six type team to give them a, a chance to play for the title. I think is a good thing. The issue is when you're talking about 12 teams, you're taking away the one thing that, that really makes college football special. And that is the fact that every single game seems to matter. And, and it is the most meaningful regular season out of any of the college sports. But wouldn't you agree that over the past couple of years, not just the way that we talk about college football, but the way that college football is marketed to the fans is that it's essentially playoff or bust. Like when you tune into to ESPN and they talk about who's going to get in, and when you see that there's just a small collection of programs that have sort, sort of taken a stranglehold on the playoff, that that's why everybody wants to see expansion. Now, you said you're in favor for expansion, but not for more expansion. You mentioned Coastal Carolina. Well, Coastal Carolina, I I think, finished the college football playoff ranking last year uh, outside the top 10. So even in an expanded playoff to number eight, they wouldn't get in. So wouldn't it behoove the committee to to expand more so to include a better chance of those at-large teams to try and find their way into the playoff? I don't necessarily think so because I think that Cincinnati was the one that we could look at out of the non-power five schools and say this was this was the best team. And I think when you saw them match up with with a Georgia team that that ended the season pretty hot, you know, you could see that Cincinnati belonged in that discussion. That was a team that was arguably among the top six or eight teams in the country. So under a sixteen playoff under an 18 playoff, Cincinnati would have gotten in, but not Coastal Carolina. And I'm guessing that in most years where you have, say, two group of five competitors, only one of those would get in. And that's okay with me. I just feel like there needs to be some path in some way that they can get in. And I, I think with four, you don't even have that route. You can't even look at it at the start of the season and say, okay, Cincinnati is going to make it in, and especially not on on a single season's results, Nick. You know, it might be the sort of thing where, hey, you're UCF, you stack, you know, 12 or 13 wins together for five straight seasons. Maybe in year six, you know, people are thinking enough about you to say, okay, you know, let's, let's give these guys a shot. But as far as a, a specific team just having a really good year and getting in, I just don't think four cuts it. And I think six gets you closer, but eight is probably the ideal. And and the other thing about that, Nick, is I think that when you're looking at at eight, it gives a team a chance to maybe overcome an injury or a slow start or or whatever else. 
because I, I know we talked the Big 12 a, a ton on this show, but you take a team like Oklahoma last year, at the start of the year, I'm not sure Oklahoma was a top 15 team. You know, when they lost to Kansas State, when they lost to Iowa State, you know, started off the year, I think, one and two, right? And, and then wound up, you know, stacking together a bunch of wins. And then when you saw them go up against Florida, you know, in their bowl game, I think it was pretty apparent that at that point, Oklahoma was probably one of the five or six best teams in the country. And had they reached the college football playoff, you know, they, they might have been able to do some damage there. And so I think in addition to, you know, giving a, a better chance to schools like a UCF or like a Cincinnati, you're also helping out somebody that, that maybe isn't the best version of themselves early in the year. But by the end of the year, they're, they're really playing with anybody. I think Georgia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma would have made last year's college football playoff a, a lot of fun based on the way that they were playing at the end of the season. Okay, so let's look at an eight-team playoff. Six automatic bids where you have an automatic bid for each Power 5 conference champion, and then you get one more automatic bid for the group of five. So that would have put Alabama number one, SEC champion, uh, number two, Clemson, ACC, number three, Ohio State, Big Ten, number six, Oklahoma from the Big 12. Cincinnati was ranked eighth. They'd be your group of five champ. And then your Pac-12 champ, Oregon, all the way down at number 25, which is, sure. I know, concerning for pro, for teams to say, okay, well, if you do a six-team playoff, right, you're talking about teams ranked number four and five who aren't getting in. So if you expand to an eight-team playoff, boom, that, that fixes that because the two at-large bids in that case would have went to fourth-ranked Notre Dame and fifth-ranked Texas A&M. But in that scenario, Kevin, you've still got – Number seven, Georgia being left out, or number seven, Florida. Yep. Number nine, Georgia. Number 10, Iowa State. If you go to a 12 bid playoff, Florida, Georgia, Iowa State, and even Indiana sitting there at 11th are all now included in this playoff. How is that not a good thing for college football? Well, I'll be honest, of the teams that you just mentioned, the only one that I could see, you know, winning a game or two in the college football playoff based on the way last year ended was Georgia. You know, I think that Florida really got exposed. And I know that they had a few guys out, but Florida was not at Oklahoma's level at the end of last season. Make no mistake. If Florida had played its entire roster and gone up for that thing, Oklahoma still probably would have won by a couple touchdowns. And I think one of the interesting things about Oklahoma that people forget to mention from last year was that they had the suspensions, you know, Ronnie Perkins didn't play right away. And so there were some other things sort of affecting that team outside of of the normal challenges that everybody else faces. And yet when those players came through, when they got healthy, when those guys came off suspension, I mean, Ronnie Perkins was an absolute terror. He changed that defense. And you really saw that Oklahoma team come together you know, as it healed up at the end of the year. I think once you start getting outside of eight, and I don't know if the answer is to say, hey, we're going to give the pat, we're going to give the group of five an automatic bid, or you just say, hey, let's, let's take the top three at large. And if a group five, group of five team is in that range, then they're going to be in. But I think once you get outside that eight team range, 
you're really not necessarily finding a lot of teams that are going to have a chance to win a college football playoff game and and certainly not teams that are going to have a chance to win a national title. I know Iowa State defeated Oklahoma earlier in the year, played a close game with the Sooners at the in the Big 12 title game, but let's be honest, Nick, neither you nor me nor Derek is sitting here claiming that Iowa State would have had a chance to to win the college football playoff last year. I, I don't think that – I think Iowa State was outside of that range last year. Talking to Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Okay, I want to play a little devil's advocate with you because I agree with sure. you. Some of those teams you wouldn't think have a legitimate chance, and it's because the talent level simply not on par with the teams that we have at the top of the rankings. Do you think long-term – it wouldn't happen right away – but do you think – a college football playoff expansion would help sort of spread out the recruiting to where we don't have this monopoly of the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the Clemsons and the Oklahomas and the LSUs of the world sort of running amok with all of the top guys and everybody else getting to fight over the scraps. Do you think expansion would level the the talent playing field? You know, I've heard that argument, you know, before, Nick, and I'm not sure that I necessarily buy into it. I get that, yes, you would have a, a greater pitch. And, you know, and Cincinnati's right in the middle of a, uh, of a talent, you know, rich state when you look at Ohio. And, you know, that's a, a state that Ohio State pulls a lot from. Obviously, Michigan pulls a lot from. A lot of Big Ten schools like Nebraska are trying to get into Ohio to get the guys who were a, a tier or so down. And so you would think, hey, if Cincinnati has the pitch, you know, to, to throw basically where they say, hey, we made the college football playoff, that the talent things would, would even out. And, and the answer really is that they're still not going to get the guys that Ohio State gets. And they're still, you're not typically going to win a guy over, over Alabama, even if you're having, you know, a higher level of success and, and reaching the playoff. And, and the reason why is, because even once you get within the college football playoff, I think those teams are still going to win. And I think there are also schools that are going to continue to recruit well that, you know, don't really have the success anyway. I mean, if, it, if recruiting were all about results and everything else, Texas wouldn't land the recruiting classes that Texas lands year in and year out. And, you know, Florida State is a team that a lot of people think could put together a top five recruiting class this year based on the way things are going so far. And Florida State obviously hasn't had anywhere near the results that you would look at to say, well, you know, I would I would trust Florida State with my future if I'm a five-star recruit and, and I'm going to go to Florida State and give them a top five class. And so – I've heard the argument that, yes, you know, with more chances to get in, the talent's going to spread out. They're going to go to different places. I tend to think that the best, you know, the best schools for recruiting, the best coaches for recruiting, they're still going to get their hauls. And maybe it helps you swing a player or two, but I think that it helps you swing a player or two the way that any team that has a run of success is going to, is going to go. You know, Kansas, didn't necessarily evaluate better after the Orange Bowl, but they did get more highly recruited guys. You know, Tobin Opurum was the guy that had offers from half the country 
And he chose to come to Kansas because of that, you know, that Orange Bowl run. Or that was at least part of it. It put them into a recruitment that they wouldn't have been in. I just don't know that expanding the college football playoffs specifically is going to give somebody that much of an edge up when it comes to recruiting against the big guys. What about scheduling? Whether it's an expansion to six teams, eight teams, 12 teams, how do you think that would impact not just the college football playoff schedule as a whole, but how individual teams who are aiming to make it into the playoff would schedule in the non-con? Well, here's the interesting thing, Nick, and you and I have talked about this, and Derek as well. The intriguing thing to me is this year, and obviously there were there were different circumstances with COVID and everything else, and we saw, you know, the, obviously the fact that if you turn the game around quickly, you weren't necessarily trying to fill your stadium on one week's notice. But at the same time, for a group of five team that's maybe sitting there and let's say Cincinnati's sitting number one in the group of five rankings right now, if you're Coastal Carolina and you're BYU and you have an open date late in the season mm-hmm. and your numbers two and three, would it not now make sense that we know that you can pull that off? Whereas before you couldn't, you couldn't do it when the there was only four teams, right? You couldn't. You couldn't. Because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Because even if you get that game, even if it pushed you ahead of Cincinnati, that still probably wasn't going to be good enough. And so that's the thing that that I find interesting. I do think that with scheduling and being like that, it's maybe going to encourage certain programs to reach out and get you know, if not a marquee win, a win that's going to look good. You know, if you get it, but I think even more than that, it inspires the group of five teams to say, okay, if we think that we have a legitimate college football playoff type team, maybe we go out and we do schedule a really tough team in that non-conference play so that we can get that strength of schedule, we can get people believing in us early and all of that. And I think, like I said, the other intriguing part of it is if you're lagging in those rankings and it's November 23rd and you've got an open date, I think it would be very interesting to see if certain teams might all of a sudden try to think about, okay, we, we've got an open date, you've got an open date, both of us are, are trying to reach the college football playoff, Let, let's go ahead and try and find a way to get this done. I'll be honest with you, Kevin, I don't hate the idea of of going to an 18 playoff. And before last night, I wasn't even considering the idea that they would be willing to expand beyond eight teams. But when you start doing the math and if it is going to be automatic bids and only two at large, the, the one reason why they're going to go to 12 is the SEC. Because right now with four at large bids, the SEC feels like, okay, most years we're going to get two teams in. You expand to six there's still really the only possibility that you're going to get two in. There's an outside chance you'd get three, but more often than not, you're just going to get two. You expand to 12, now all of a sudden, hey, we could get three or four teams in. And with knowing how much power they wield in these discussions that are going to be happening this month, I got to imagine that's going to be a sticking point for them and something that they're going to sort of plant their, their heels in the ground and say, we're not willing to give up ground on this. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a fascinating thing because I think if you looked at a case study on the SEC, a lot of times the SEC promotes its ranking just by playing itself. Yeah. And so somebody somebody you look at, you know, a Texas A and M or or you look at somebody like that last year, you know, a lot of those programs didn't really have big wins outside of other SEC teams that maybe were flawed at the time. And so you look at it and you get credit for beating, you know, number nine Georgia. But let's be honest, Georgia wasn't Georgia until JT Daniels took over at quarterback last year. So if you played Georgia early on and then Georgia won three games late, you know, if you're Florida, you're getting credit for a double-digit win over Georgia when you didn't really beat Georgia at its strongest point. But those rankings all kind of stack up. You know, Texas A&M lost to Alabama by a pretty huge margin last year, and that doesn't make Texas A&M special. Just about everybody did. But the point is, is when you're looking at, at teams for a college football playoff, you know, and you're looking at, okay, this team did well or, or that team did well, you know, people generally, you know, they really hate on, say, Notre Dame for not being competitive in a college football playoff game. We've seen that some with Oklahoma as well. But that's happening in the SEC too, and it kind of gets brushed under, you know, under the rug because they say, well, sure, Texas A&M is not on the an equal playing field with Alabama. But, hey, they beat LSU. Well, LSU wasn't very good last year. Well, okay, but maybe maybe they beat Florida. Well, Florida was highly flawed last year. But the teams are all highly ranked. And so as long as they all beat each other in sort of this circle, you're going to wind up with, with four or five SEC teams ranked around the top 12. And like you're saying, if you're picking the top 12 teams for a playoff, that's going to look really, really good for the SEC to, to get several teams in. And, and it's a self-perpetuating cycle because they get those teams in and, and everything, uh, every argument that we hear about the SEC being superior is, is kind of proven by the fact that it's, hey, we got four, uh, we got four teams in. We got a third of the college football playoff, or, or God forbid, we got five, uh, as it would have been last year. And so that uh, that kind of throws everything off. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 247sports.com. Kevin, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you for the conversation. Thanks a lot, Nick. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now, whether it's you know washing all the germs out. You want to get, obviously, the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app, so download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash.